Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Nia Motley. Nia is a trainee psychological wellbeing practitioner and has her own experience of an eating disorder. Nia joins us today to discuss her own experience as well as how writing has helped her to find a way to talk about her own mental health. Hello Nia. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, have you had a good day? Sun is shining. I know I have, although I've been stuck inside all day, so I'm just kind of looking forward to... That's the really nice thing about this time of year, that the evenings are really long, so I kind of don't feel so bad for being stuck inside. Because I'm like, at least when I finish work for the day, it will be like for a good few hours. Yeah, that's so true. I keep... It's really funny, isn't it, how you forget about, like, the change in light and dark. Like, I woke up at four o'clock one morning this week accidentally like I didn't want to go and it was light outside and I was like oh my yeah. god I remember like going to work at seven and it was dark outside like how how did we do that and now it's gorgeous and like you say the evenings are longer so you have so much more time yeah very nice. very nice um Yes. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I, like I said to you before we started, this is the first time that we're going to play something that's not just us talking. So I'm very excited. Uh, and now everybody listening is going to be like, oh, what the hell is going on? <laughs> um, but I wondered if you wanted to start by giving um, the listeners a bit of an overview of your experience of your eating disorder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I will kind of condense it down and do a bit of a whistle-stop tour of my eating disorder. Um, but I guess for me, it started um, when I was about 12. Prior to that, I'd been a very happy, full of life little girl. Um, and kind of at the age of 12, like a lot of things in my life became out of my control. Um, and I'd always been the good little girl and Nia was always fine. And that was very much the hat I wore. And I got to a point when, at that age, where I kind of felt I wasn't okay, but I didn't know how to, I didn't have the words to say that I wasn't okay. And I desperately wanted to find something to control when life felt so out of my control. And it was never a conscious choice, but I turned to food. and it worked well it worked to begin with and i think that's the key point um i sort of found restriction um and with that i felt a sense of control and i kind of felt like well even if chaos is kind of happening around me and i feel totally out of control of my surroundings at least i have this control to hold on to um but kind of with restriction of my food kind of came restriction of my life and my life got smaller and smaller and smaller um and all that sort of mattered was kind of how much well how little what food i was going to eat how little of it i could the exercise i was going to do um it was really wrapped up in schoolwork for me so that there was like this massive perfectionist in me and kind of that was my life and that was how i existed for a number of years and i kind of didn't see at the time how small my life was um it's only kind of being in recovering and be, and being able to look back that i'm able to sort of reflect upon that um mm-hmm. 
And for, for me, like, restriction sort of numbed everything up. You know, I kind of just, like, walked through life and I wasn't really feeling anything. Um, and it kind of gave, it was a cry for help. And again, I wasn't able to massively see that at the time, but I can look back and then it was a cry for help. And I did kind of have people turning around and offering me that help, which it was a very weird thing because I so desperately craved it, but I pushed it away when it came. Um, and yeah, life got smaller and smaller and kind of fast forward four years when I was about 16, I sort of hit a physical rock bottom. Um, I was still in so much denial about my eating disorder. Like it was one of those things that I just wasn't able to, I was just completely controlled by it. And I wasn't really able to see how much it was controlling my life. And I think only when someone tried to challenge it, was I able to think, oh my gosh, I'm totally in the grips of this and I have no way of stopping it. Um, I, when I sort of hit that physical rock bottom, I'd seen like a lot of healthcare professionals before, but I was referred to CAMS, um, which is Children and Adult Mental Health Services. Um, and my family at this point were so worried and my friends and I kind of thought, okay, I just need to get everyone off my back. And I did that, but sort of like the mental side hadn't really changed. And I still like maybe physically, like I looked better and everyone thought, okay, well, Nia's doing better, but mentally I was still like dealing with those thoughts and kind of still desperate to find a sort of coping mechanism because, you know, my external still felt scary and challenging. And yeah, I kind of then slipped into bulimia and again, like that was never a conscious choice, but I think it was my way of kind of from the outside, you know, like I could sit and eat a meal and it wasn't so concerning, but I would then go away and binge a purge and that was my way to cope. And kind of with my bulimia came these huge highs and lows. Like I've been a really highly functioning anorexic who kind of could get on with life. But kind of with my bulimia, I was unable to kind of do the day-to-day -day things because if I'd spent like the day before binging and purging, I'd wake up the next day like riddled with guilt and have all these like physical side effects of from binging and purging. Um, and so kind of having been this high achiever and who managed to have do all these things at school and achieve well at school, mainly, largely. Um, and I wasn't able to do that with my bulimia and that really scared me. And I think with my, my bulimia, like I never wanted it. Like I would vow to myself, like I'm never doing this again. And I was just like totally powerless to stop it or I felt totally powerless to stop it. Um, but again, like I sort of like didn't know any other way and I wasn't fully ready to let go of it. And I think I hit like a mental rock bottom with that um, about the age of 17, 18. Um, I decided that actually, like I couldn't face like getting up in the morning. I couldn't face like the, the littlest things. And I kind of I couldn't quite comprehend how I got there. You know, it was something that started out so innocently and it like completely like weaved into every single area of my life. Um, I was about to take my A-levels, I applied to go to university and I just couldn't face, you know, getting up and going to school. Um, and I ended up going into treatment 
um, and what I thought would be three weeks into treatment. I go into treatment for three weeks and saw me out. Six months later, I left. <laughs> um, and honestly, like, it was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life and think will ever have to do. Um, but it, yeah, it was so worthwhile and it kind of gave me a place, gave me the opportunity to kind of find alternative coping mechanisms, get to know myself, get to know why I was using it, using my eating disorder. And what are we now? Like six years later, like I have this life and this freedom from my eating disorder that like I never thought would be possible. And it's been, you know, it's a bit like I said, like I went into treatment and I thought this will be over. I'll get others do this and I'll be better. And it hasn't been my experience. But I think, you know, it's been full of ups and downs. Um, like I, I look back now and I wouldn't change it at all. And I see why every part and bump along the road was necessary. Um, so, yeah, that's a very wrapped up um, explanation of, like, my experience of my eating disorder. I always feel really bad when I ask people, like, oh, can you tell us your experience? Because, you know, it's I'm asking you to explain it in, like, five, ten minutes. And it's actually such a massive, significant thing. And, and you know, what I've always said this on the podcast, we you kind of now after years of therapy it feels like it's kind of worked out but in the moment it's so messy and all over the place mm -hmm. um so yeah thank you so much for kind of explaining that and it's fantastic now that you're feeling so much better about it and kind of you know can see you know all the benefits from doing it i wanted mm -hmm. to ask you um maybe this is my assumption from what you were saying but Kind of, I wanted to ask you the differences between anorexia and bulimia and how that impacted you because it almost sounded, and I obviously don't want this to sound like I'm saying that you can live with anorexia and that's mm. fine because I don't think it is, but it sounded like what you, from what you were saying at the time, it felt almost mm. like anorexia was something you could, you could function mm. with and you could live with, whereas bulimia was, you know, that, that kind of ruined every, every day, everything you were doing. Yeah. Totally. Like, I don't want to glamorize it because um, I think often anorexia is glamorized, but I almost felt mm. with restriction, it was a bit of, it was almost my superpower. It was almost this mm. thing that I had that I felt better than everyone else. And again, like it, that was fleeting and that didn't last. And I think that's the thing with my eating disorder. Like it worked and that's why it stuck, but it stopped working and that's why I had to let it go. But yeah, absolutely. Like I felt... I felt empowered by it and I felt like I felt almost lucky and I felt kind of like I can do anything and I can achieve anything and I was super highly functioning and that was my experience and I know that everyone has a different experience but like I was so driven I think almost just like I was so narrow-minded and like the things that I put my like my energy into like it was like total tunnel tunnel vision and that was like my food my exercise and my schoolwork and i didn't do anything else but that's what you know that's what my anorexia was like and it just sort of numbed everything whereas for me bulimia i never wanted it like i remember the first time i binged and purged i was like i do not want this like give me the restriction i do not want this mm. um and for me it came with these huge highs and lows like i would i'd binge and I'd have this like euphoria and then 
and again I'm kind of having again purging like that was also a bit of a euphoria but then once that had passed this like guilt would set in and that would you know that could last days on end and that guilt like I was like so riddled with guilt that I felt like I wasn't able to function and do these things um and so that kind of was like a big difference for me you know it felt like from one extreme to the other um and yeah I kind of felt like I was able to keep my my bulimia under wraps a little bit at times whereas my anorexia was very like outward like I'm not eating I'm restricting you know it was very outward way for me to prove I wasn't okay whereas my bulimia was like far more secretive and it was this thing that I was like okay I don't actually want people now to know that I'm not okay I just want people to be off my back and it was I think I felt a lot more shame about it for that reason because it was so secretive you know at least with the restriction people I felt like people would like see it whereas with this I was like how do I tell people that this is what I'm struggling with and I think I felt a lot more shame about it I think um it's, it's really interesting what you said about sort of the differences um between eating to you know that shame with bulimia and stuff and I, I don't think you're alone in that I think maybe I'm making an assumption here but with anorexia you know in society nowadays restriction and dieting is it's it's glorified so if that's something that you're able to do people almost praise that but then you know you're binging on large amounts of food and, and purging their behaviors that I think a lot of people can't really understand or comprehend so there is kind of the shame and the stigma around that and it, do you think that's where that came from for you or was were there other things that kind of made you feel shameful yeah i think you're right i also think that like this is something that's taken me a long time to come to terms with but like my behavior went well like i would take food like i would take food from not only like my family's cupboards but like i'd go to friends house and i'd like you know find what was in their 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 cupboards and i would take other people's food and that sort of like came with a lot of shame like there's some this overwhelming urge that i needed to get food didn't matter whose food it was where it was i needed to eat it and so i think and there were other behaviors like that i felt totally shamed about that kind of came along with my bulimia that really did attach the shame to it but i think you're right i think that we are in a society that kind of like praises people for being able to restrict their food you know eating large amounts of food isn't something that is sort of like yeah it's not got that same <laughs> reputation around yeah. um and i think but i also think you know like that sort of self-control is also really praised and mm -hmm. i felt like i had no self-control with my bulimia and, and that was really scary um so but i also think it was my own judgment as well you know i think i was not only concerned about other people's judgments but this judgment i had internalized on well, maybe that's my like from society but i did feel like i just had this judgment of myself of like how how can you do this to yourself and how can you do this to yourself mm, yeah i think there's almost a hierarchy of eating disorders as well in that um, anorexia mm. is kind of up there. And um, that I feel like that, I mean, I, you know, again, I'm making an assumption, but that might have kind of fed into that kind of judgment of yourself. But also as you were talking then when you said about the self-control, it's funny because I was just thinking about that as well. And it would be interesting to, I guess, 
get the opinion of somebody that didn't have anorexia before um, and, ha and had, you know, started with bulimia, let's say, if they had a similar sort of response as yourself, because I was, I was thinking then how, you know, with anorexia, like you said, the kind of traits um, that are apparent are, you know, strong willpower and very rigid and, you know, very mm. kind of set in your ways. Um, which I think, again, in society is seen as like ideal characteristics because it means like, you know, then you can be hardworking and a perfectionist and all of that. Exactly. And I guess that is kind of completely opposite to the bulimia because that's quite, you know, it's quite sporadic. Um, I can't think of the actual word that I'm trying to, what's it when you like? Impulsive. More impulsive. Um, yeah. So I can imagine there was like so much coming from that in that you'd gone from something that was very like, you know rigid and ritualistic to then yeah kind of no structure whatsoever completely and i think like eating disorders and my experience of my eating disorder is like it doesn't just affect your food like it it mirrors into your whole life mm. and like with with my anorexia like my whole life was rigid and controlled and so small and with my bulimia my life was full of these ups and downs and like i had far more like friends and relationships but it was that like push pull like i had that and then i didn't i backed away or like i would be i was far more part of life i was doing things but then it was too much and it kind of i was le far less reliable you know like constant like those constant highs and lows were in every area of my life not just my food and that's not again that's not that it's frowned upon but like that sort of impulsivity and unreliability like that was who I was and I was ashamed of that and I didn't like that and again at the time I wasn't able to recognize like this is my eating sort of like sort of seeping into every area of my life but it really was um and yeah so I think that that was also kind of hard to come to terms with do you think like did your personality kind of change completely between kind of from having anorexia to then having bulimia yeah i absolutely felt like a different person um mm -hmm. and i just kind of having like it felt like a very dramatic switch switch which sort of happened over time but i was just like god like how have i gone from this person with like this most immaculate room and had this immaculate routine and nothing would go awry to this person that life felt so chaotic and so messy mm. and um yeah so yeah completely do you, do you think there was kind of like you know looking back was there something that happened that kind of caused that switch or did it just one day or was it like a gradual progression between the two um i don't think that there was one thing um mm -hmm. sorry i don't think yeah it wasn't like a yeah there wasn't a like a uh, a trigger as such um and i've like read a lot about it and it's quite common in people who've had a restrictive background to um to start binging um and for me it started happening when i started eating again it was almost that i sort of allowed myself to start eating and then couldn't stop but also and I think it's a biological thing. Your body's like, you're giving me food and I don't know when I'm next going to get food, so I'm going to hold on to it. But I think partly it was I was so unwilling 
to really do the work and I was really unwilling to sort of let go of my eating disorder and perhaps if I kind of thought okay I'm going to start eating normally again but I'm also going to look at the mental side of this and I'm going to look at why I'm doing this yeah I perhaps wouldn't have fell into that but I think I wasn't really willing to let that go and I still kind of felt like I was holding on to this eating disorder I also think that part of me like yes I started eating again but there was still like lots of restriction mixed up there so I would kind of allow myself to put my body to be and even if I ate a normal amount I would then restrict and then it, that kind of got me into a, a bit of a cycle so yeah there wasn't like a trigger but I think it was my kind of attempt to start eat a bit more my body and my biology kind of took over along with the fact that like my thoughts had just not changed yeah I think um I've heard like you say, I've heard that it is quite common for that to happen. And I, the people that I've spoken to that have transitioned from one eating disorder to another, it has, you know, from their reflection on it, it's tended to be, I, I wasn't 100% ready to let go of the eating disorder mm. and mm. kind of they were the eating disorder. So, you know, saying to yourself, okay, well, one day we're going to go from having an eating disorder to not, it's, you know, you're still you're still looking for a coping mechanism. You haven't, like you said, you haven't looked at that mental side and put things in place for when you're feeling low or whatever kind of emotion you normally try and avoid. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think I've had a very ex similar experience in that I went from anorexia to excessive exercise. And it's, mm. it, it's I guess, it's just using something else to kind of mm. manage your emotions because you haven't spent the time, you know, actually kind of doing beneficial things. Completely. There's a quote I love and it's like, my eating disorder wasn't the problem. It was my solution. And I had to find, mm -hmm. and in recovery, I had to find another solution. And I, I find that so true. I kind of thought, yeah. take away my eating disorder, everything would be fine. And actually, like, it wasn't the problem. Life was the problem. And I needed mm. to find a solution to life because I couldn't deal with life. And yeah. that's been a massive thing and part of my recovery. It's like, you know, that life is still going to bring about whatever difficulties it does. I need to find some other coping mechanisms because my eating disorder was just a, a faulty coping mechanism. Mm. And I can't just expect to take that away and everything be fine because I, de I de definitely thought that was the case. Um, so I kind of find that a helpful way to sort of think about my eating disorder. Yeah. And I think that that quote as well, like is perfect because like you say, it's, it's, not, it's not the food. And I think that mm. sums it up so nicely. And so many people think that, you know with with anorexia you just don't like food or you know you're trying to lose weight and stuff and it, it like you said it's not it's not the food um mm. that's the problem um i wanted to ask you as well um about kind of the impact that your eating disorders had so i think like when you were talking kind of about your eating disorder experience you mentioned a levels and uni um mm. were, were they affected um at all with yeah. your eating disorder so I was in my final year at school um, when I went into treatment and I genuinely, I genuinely thought I would go in for three weeks. I remember it so clearly with my Christmas holidays. I thought I'll go in for my Christmas holidays. I'll have a week, um, miss a week of term and then I'll be back to school and I'll do my A-levels and I'll go to university. Anyway, that did not happen. And I was probably, I don't know, maybe, yeah, I went into treatment in December and I left in May and probably in about... February, March, I finally came to terms with the fact I would not be able to sit my tables. <laughs> and mm -hmm. this was absolutely crushing for me. Like I had spent my whole 
you know, teenage life kind of thinking about my A-levels and doing my A-levels and going off to university. Like I was that high achiever. I worked very hard at school, probably far too hard that like I really look back and think, why did I work so hard? But like, it was all I wanted and it was what I'd aimed for. And, you know, I was surrounded by friends at school doing that. I was surrounded by friends who were doing their A-levels and going off to university. And like, I didn't know anyone who kind of had taken some time out. And, you know, I, I had this narrative in my head that you kind of, you go to school, you do GCSEs, you do your A-levels, you then go to university, you then get a job, you know, like that classic stereotypical narrative. And mm -hmm. I was just like, well, if I fall at this hurdle, like then that's the rest of my life. Like that's up in the air, you know? And I look back now and I'm so grateful that I found the courage to say I'm putting my mental health first like to be honest I don't think I would have got through it but I'm so grateful that that choice was almost taken out of my hands because I went back you know like I I went to a different sick form a year later and I sat my A-levels and I got grades that I was happy with I probably would not have got if I wasn't very well um I then like took another year out because I was just like I wanted to go to university but I still like didn't feel like I had my feet on the ground properly. I still kind of was like gaining the momentum with my recovery. And again, like the thought of taking one gap here, I could get my head around. The thought of taking two, I was like, who does that? No one does that. I'm going to be 23 when I graduate. And I've just like slowly and surely learned that like, like life is not linear. Life is messy. Like it doesn't have this path and that's okay. And I think I'm really glad that I learned at that age that it's okay to take time out. It's okay to prioritize your mental health. In fact, it's so important. And so, yeah, my eating just sort of like had this map, like everything was like that I wanted was almost being stripped away from me. And like my A-levels were like my final thing of like, okay, this is really like taking away far more than I ever wanted it to. But I am in a way glad that I was able to kind of take that time out and allow myself to, to focus on that because I do think it's really really hard to kind of you know my A-levels were probably the, the academically the hardest thing I've done far harder than my, my degree and <laughs> trying to do that simultaneously with trying to get better like I couldn't do and I think that was my problem I had like half-assed recovery I kind of was yeah. trying it but wasn't really getting it and some people can do it but I could not do it like I literally had to like give up everything else and focus on that and you know it was an massive investment but it was six months of like hardcore intensive treatment which had like spared years on the pain and I think that's the key thing like it feels like you know giving up my A-levels at that time felt like this huge sacrifice and I didn't feel like anyone else was doing it but you know however many years down the line you know I can see that I'm so glad I just took that time out because it probably saved me so many more years um yeah. yes I've gone on a bit of a rant <laughs> I think it's such an important thing to discuss um because I was in quite a similar position to you um I did do my A-levels I mean I didn't do very well in them because the, the, there was nothing there uh, but I went off to uni and then had to drop out of uni and that was the same thing it was like you know this is all you've ever worked for 
and now you failed mm. and you've got to drop out and everybody else is staying here and all your friends have gone to uni and all of that and like I'm really grateful that you spoke about it because I just hope that one if, if one person is listening and is either going off to uni or is doing their A-levels and thinking you know I can't I don't think I should be going and there's like a niggle in the back of your brain don't go because yeah. you know ultimately I graduated I think I did I graduate at 23 I can't remember maybe I, I graduated my masters at 23 I don't know but like age is literally no one cares <laughs> like mm. literally nobody cares at uni and Absolutely. you know you can do your academia at any point in your life and ultimately like you've said the most important thing is that you're mentally well and that you kind of work through that and I think you know working through recovery is a full-time job and you, you can't do that whilst you're trying to do you know the like you say the biggest exams that you're probably going to do and I think mm. I think A-levels are massively underrated as well because you're literally doing you know four or five subjects rather than mm. uni which is one subject and you have all your time dedicated to it um again I'm I'm full of quotes but there's another quote and it's uh, I heard it in my early recovery and it stuck with me and it was so helpful and like it's but like you're saying recovery is a full-time job and it, was, it said, when you put your recovery first, everything you put second is first class. And I loved it. <laughs> and because actually at the beginning, and you know, I had to put my recovery first. Like that was the most important thing. And when I did that, that my relationships, my, my academia, my, fa my relationships with my family, like my whole life was better for it. And I, and I still remind myself today that, you know, that, you know, I could have, when I, I prioritise the wrong things and it has a knock-on effect on everything else, but actually, particularly for me in the early days, when I could prioritise my recovery, everything else was better for it. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, I was just writing down that quote because I thought that was absolutely mm -hmm. amazing. And it's so true, isn't it? Because if you if you try and do recovery and all the other stuff, it, it's it's not possible. And I think that's the thing that is so important to talk about as well you know going like we were saying earlier going away from eating sort of just about food they do mm. impact like every single part of your life like you said from your relationships to your work to school to whatever you're doing and until that eating disorder is you know you know whether it's on the path of recovery or full recovery whatever you think is kind of the place where you want to end up you, you can't focus on anything else because there's absolutely even always not. that eating disorder looming over you absolutely and i and i think you know it's there's a certain time in which you need to like dedicate it and then it's important that you can let life in you know that's mm -hmm. what kind of that's why you get better to be able to do life you know yeah. it would be miserable existence if your whole life was focused on this recovery <laughs> and nothing else but I needed that to begin with. And then I could slowly and surely let life in. And then I was like, okay, this is why I'm doing it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. God, that got very, um, what's, oh, my brain is not working for words. Passionate. Motivational. I love it. <laughs> I love the motivation. Um, and then also what I wanted to speak to you about, um, which is the part I'm most excited about, and that already the chat's been amazing, so I'm now very mm. excited, um, is... <laughs> is your writing and your poetry and the bits and bobs you've been doing. Um, so in a sec, we'll play a little bit um, and then discuss kind of the ideas behind them. But 
I guess I just wanted to ask before we start, kind of why you first decided to start writing and, and how it helps you. Completely. Um, so I, it's, yeah, I can't remember why I decided to pick up a pen and paper, but I really vividly remember the first poem I wrote when I was suffering from eating disorder. And I had all these thoughts in my head and I had no way to verbalize it. And it was a bit like how I mentioned earlier that I, you know, I didn't know how to tell people I wasn't okay. So I used my body, but I had all these thoughts in my head and somehow I could put pen to paper and they would come out. And it was this messy thing that didn't make a lot of sense, probably made no sense to anyone else but me. Um, and it was something, it gave me an avenue to express myself, which I think I was just desperately craving. Um, and over time, it kind of, so at the beginning, I very much like just wrote for me. I have never shared, to be honest, most of my writing, I've never shared with anyone else. I just write it for me. Um, I love poetry because there's no right or wrongs. So I can write in whatever way I can end a sentence halfway through the sentence, you know, like there's no rules. I can just write. Um, and it and it became something that I could be proud of. You know, I could write and write a poem and think I'm proud of this. And the act of writing about something, even if it was really challenging or hard or painful, I think it proved to me that there was a little bit of hope. You know, I think if I felt totally hopeless, I wouldn't have even tried writing. <laughs> but the fact that I started writing showed to proved to me that I had that, that there was hope. Um, so yeah, I guess that's why I started and I guess it's sort of stuck. Um, and then over time it became an avenue of expression that I, it gave me a sort of a confidence, you know, I could write a poem and I could far easily, far more easily share a poem than I could talk about it. Um, and I think I remember sharing my first like spoken word poem on YouTube. It was like for Mental Health Wednesday. And I was, it was probably, I was probably about 19 or 20 and I sort of wrote it and shared it. And it was on, I don't know why I just decided to. And I just had this incredible reaction. Um, in fact, it, I think it's like the most viewed out of all my poems, my first one. Wow. I probably not the worst one, but um, <laughs> I think it was just so nice. Uh, yeah, I just had this incredible reaction and um, just in realizing that, helping people realize that they weren't alone. And I think for a long time, I felt this huge amount of shame and felt so like I was crazy and being able to kind of share my experience and other people being like, I get that. It not only helped them, but it helped me realize like, okay, I'm not on my own in this. Um, and yeah, it, that kind of stuck. And I kind of thought if I write this and help one person, then it's worth it. And it helped more than one person. Um, so yeah, it kind of became, it, it felt like an accessible way to talk about things. Mm. Um, and rather than just sitting there and sharing it with someone, it felt also like I wanted to be, wanted it to be something that someone could see and think, you know what, my friend could really benefit from hearing and send mm. that on. Um, to kind of, to write it in a way that felt, I don't know, I almost felt more permission to be open and honest to, in a poem mm. than just to sit and tell someone about it. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'm sort of like 
that's all a bit rambled and jumbled up but yeah I've mainly I've just found it an amazing way to kind of express myself and most of the time I do it for myself but then I have also seen the benefits and I love I love sharing it you know I love sharing my work um so that's also kind of part of it as well <laughs> yeah. no I think it's amazing and I'm so like I love when people kind of are raising awareness in different creative ways like the you know poetry and the way that is when I listen to it it's the way that you say it as well like you have like mm -hmm. almost a rhythm to it but it, I think it is rhythm um but it just yeah it's the like um emotion that you put into it is like another layer of like on top of what you're saying um yeah so yeah I think it's a fantastic way like you say um to for people to kind of reach out to their friends as well you know if they're concerned or worried or whatever they can send it on and say you, know, you might like to kind of listen to this or whatever which that could be like a really good first step for someone rather than like an intense sit down of what's Completely. going on it could be like oh, I this this might be kind of relating yeah. to you so yeah i think it's amazing yeah i am um, i wrote like i my my most recent poem like um my dad shared it on his LinkedIn, but um, there were loads <laughs> of comments of like, um, I've, I've, I've shared this with my daughter, she's suffering with anorexia and all those sorts of things. And I think I feel, I felt so lonely in my eating disorder. Like mm -hmm. I didn't really talk when I was suffering, like about to anyone. I'm far more open now being in recovery. I kind of had this weird thing of like, people won't believe me, people won't validate me. I can't imagine ever talking about this. As soon as I get better, I'm going to shut it out and never, pretend it never existed. And like the opposite's happened. So I kind of feel like if I can kind of get through a little bit to someone who's like really in it, I know how beneficial I would have found that because yeah. I kind of felt totally crazy for it. And I also, I feel like I sort of recognize myself in poetry and maybe that's probably because I write it, but you know, when people, I, I read quite a bit of po poetry and I think, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And that's articulated mm -hmm. in a way that I couldn't say it. And if, again, if it could be something that someone could listen to and think, yeah, that's how I feel. And I'm just not able to articulate and be able to share with a friend or a family yeah. member and say, this is what's going on for me. I can't say it, but this is how I would say it if I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you're so right. I think, um, I mean, that's why I do the podcast, because I know when I was struggling, I thought that I was the only person in the whole entire world that had struggled to eat food. And then actually to be able to hear other people say, I'm feeling it too, and be so open about it as well. Um, you know, as just having this general conversation, it it takes a lot and it takes a lot of work to get to the position where you can just say so you know it's not going to be at the start of recovery all of a sudden you can just walk out and say i've got an eating disorder but i don't think that it necessarily should be like that you know if no. i think when when you're when you're poorly with something um you know you might not want to go and plaster it all over facebook or instagram because you might not want everybody to know but i i think you would you would go to your friends and family and confide in them and say you know i, I am poorly mm. with this whereas with an eating disorder i don't think it's that easy because of the shame and stigma so i think having these open conversations really helps people to be like well they're talking about it so like so surely there's nothing to be ashamed of here i can go and talk about it as well completely like i think there's a really like fine fine balance but like i remember when i left school like i didn't tell anyone i didn't tell any of my friends where mm. i'd gone 
I decided to tell like a couple of my close friends a couple of weeks in because I knew I wasn't coming back. And I was just like, I just look back now and think, God, I was suffering so much. I wish I was able to tell them that's where I was, you know, mm -hmm. because perhaps that could have helped me a little bit and I would have felt a little bit less alone. And I think, you know, in, in situations like that, I really wish I'd been able, I had the words and I just didn't have the words. Like I couldn't even comprehend telling anyone. Um, and I know, yeah, exactly. Like if, if I was poorly with any other illness, you know, I would say, look, I'm off to get treatment for this or this, but mm -hmm. um, I, and and now, you know, like now if, if I'm struggling, if I'm finding things hard, like I feel able to talk about it. Um, but yeah, at the time I just didn't know how to. Yeah. I do think that is part of therapy. I think it's learning how to say out loud, I have blah, blah, blah. Um, Completely. I think that can take some time to process as well. I think it's learning how to say it, but also trusting that that can be, be like held and believed. I don't know. I mm -hmm. have this weird belief that like, if I tell you I'm not okay, you're not going to believe me. You're not going to really understand how hard this is for me. Mm -hmm. um, and actually like, that's like my, it's been the opposite of my experience today. You know, I know if I say to someone, look, I'm really struggling and finding this hard. Majority of the time they'll sit and listen to me and, and, and support me. No one says on oh, no, it, I don't believe you don't feel like that, but I was just, crippled with this fear that you know people wouldn't believe me and people wouldn't see how hard it was so i didn't even want to try and explain to them what was going on for fear that it would just totally invalidate the way that i felt so yeah it felt like a, it therapy has absolutely and being around other people who are who talk openly because i found that a massive thing like actually in me being open and honest so many people around me are like i have a really honest relationship with and that hasn't all come from me at all like that's definitely come from other people being able to open up to me but you know that ha having that mutual dialogue and being around people who are who who have that language um helps me realize like okay if they can share this with me i can share it back to them too conversations like this and having a podcast like that you talk about these things it's such an accessible way for people to hear like okay people are talking about this and this can be a, a safe contained conversation and you know I can get my needs met and I think that's yeah I think that's it's fantastic what you're doing yeah thank you well hopefully <laughs> I think it's a good stepping point for somebody hopefully in the same way as your um poetry and that you know if somebody <laughs> is struggling they can send it to somebody and say, I can't mm. say, but this is kind of how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to play um, mm -hmm. one of your um, poems. So I love the title of this one. And I think this one, the title of it also sums up like both of us. Um, because the, the title mm -hmm. is it's impossible to change the world on an empty stomach and I don't mm -hmm. know about you I just assumed actually when I said us then but my mum used to say to me like you can't run a car on an empty tank she's like you've got so many aspirations for life and you're not gonna be able to do any of them um so yeah so I'm gonna play this little section mm -hmm. um and then we shall have a little chat <laughs> Though small, other times far heavier. Instead, about the self-destruction and the terror of this life. Was my coping mechanism a way to survive, and in a very warped way, the very thing that kept me alive? It numbed the painful feelings, helping me to endure things that felt too much. 
became my best friend and my crush. But it stopped working, and I couldn't stop it. And I realised, somewhere deep down in my heart, that it had gone a lot further than I ever meant at the start. But I had caught the disease and it felt too late. I'd got it in mind and I was not in control. My head told me things and I was stuck in my mind was consumed from the moment I woke. My head convinced me the same things a record broke. I would try and force myself to do things differently. But the guilt that came with the moments of weakness would not be for six. My head, my biggest enemy. My eating disorder was a stalker, a shadow on the wall, weighing me under a ton of bricks, desperate for me to fall. People questioned why I chose to become a skeleton, why I chose to act in this way. But it wasn't a choice. I didn't choose to fall victim to anorexia or bulimia. But recovery was the choice, and it was my choice. When I listened quietly enough, there was a determined voice inside of me. that was so desperate to see the back of this evening. So, yeah, I wanted to speak to you about that because I think it's it, the section that I just played really talks about like that tug between wanting to recover um, mm. but then also the eating disorder being so loud um, okay. so did you want to just say a little bit more about yeah. where that came from so I think for a long time I felt a lot of guilt for having an eating disorder I felt a lot of guilt for the thoughts that I had for the behaviors that I did um, I kind of don't know whether it, I think I was surrounded by a narrative and this wasn't, I think it's a societal narrative, perhaps not of people close to me of should be able to snap out of this. If only you could just eat, if only you could just stop doing that. And I kind of, you know, grappled with that and just would beat myself up so much because I was totally powerless over the thoughts. And I have, it took a lot of time and a lot of, of thinking about it but I was able to realise that, you know, I was, t my eating disorder wasn't a choice. You know, I didn't decide to have an eating disorder. If I could stop it and start eating and not have those thoughts of guilt, I absolutely would in a heartbeat, you know, like it got to a point where I didn't want it anymore. What I came to understand that I had a choice about my recovery. I might not have a choice about those thoughts, but I can choose to get better. Mm. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy but I can choose to put in the work and I can choose to challenge myself. And, you know, sometimes that voice will get too loud and I've, I won't, I will listen to that and I won't stick with my recovery or I won't do the right thing. Um, but that was, yeah, something that I have like really come to terms with and kind of today, you know, like I, I don't like using the word I'm recovered. Like, mm -hmm. and, and I think perhaps that might sound like, oh gosh, that's really negative or whatever, but like, I say I'm in recovery because for me, like, I know that it's it's a bit like my eating disorder is like my Achilles heel, you know. I don't act on those thoughts today, but if life is stressful, if life is overwhelming, if something happens, it's quite likely that a thought will pop up of, oh, if you restrict your food, it, it will be better. I today, I don't have a choice about that thought, but I have a choice to not listen to it. Mm. And I think that's what I've come to terms with. And that's the way I view my recovery. And, and again, like, it's really like, I, I am grateful for my eating disorder. Like, I don't know if I'd be alive without it. You know, it got me through a really difficult period of time. 
and it's, but it stopped working. And so the, those, the fact that those thoughts come up, it kind of is actually a really helpful reminder of like, okay, Nia, something's not going on quite right at the moment. You might need to up, I don't know, the, the things that help you and the things that support you. And you might need to write more, for example, you know? So I think that, that specific bit came from this judgment that I put on myself um, for, I should just be able to stop binging and purging. I should just be able to eat normally. I shouldn't have this guilt. And actually being able to come to terms with, it's okay, I have no, I, I am powerless over those thoughts. I can't change them. That's, that's, I have a bit of a faulty way of thinking. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not out in my control, but I can choose to get better. And that's sort of how I've made peace with it today. Yeah. And I think like what you've just said there, is like such a fundamental part of the recovery journey is having that compassion for yourself mm. because I know like a few months ago I kind of had those thoughts again um and thought that that was kind of the way to solve things and I got really angry at myself and I was like can't believe that you're doing this again this is ridiculous you know it doesn't work blah 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 and then actually you think well no, there's a reason why I'm turning to this and it's because mm. some part of my brain thinks it's the right thing to do. I know deep down it's not. So let's take a step back and reevaluate. But I think, you know, actually being able to say to yourself, it's okay that you had that thought, um, but you have a choice now, like you said, whether to act on it or not. That's, that's all part of recovery is kind of I think people often talk about relapse and, you know, I know that, you know, relapse can become you can have relapses and stuff like that but I know mm. I said to myself you're having a relapse and it wasn't a relapse it was kind of it was kind of a, in my experience it felt like a test it was like mm. there's a bit there's a bit of bad you know there's some bad things going on at the moment how are you going to react to this and it almost mm. it made me realize that I am in recovery because I was able to reach out to other people and say yeah uh, things are going on and I put things in place to look after myself yeah completely and I I feel like I've really oversimplified it because you know it's not always a case of life getting hard that thought pops in and you think I'm just not gonna act on it I'm gonna do the right thing because <laughs> you know like it's I, I wish it was that simple it's not that simple mm -hmm. um but I think yeah I think like from my experience like you said like there has been bumps along the road and it's and I see them as tests. I see them as like, how quickly can we pick ourselves up? Mm -hmm. You know, okay, yes, this is going to trip you up. But before this would take three months for you to kind of think three yes. months of, I don't know, of you getting stuck in something, whether it's restriction or binging or purging. Now it's like, okay, I do, I might, whatever behavior it is, um, which yeah, happens very, very, very rarely today. But it's like being able to pick myself up far more quickly than I was in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I always think that when, if I do have a little stumble, I'm like, okay, how long has this taken? An hour? Great, mm. Hannah, that's fine. Yes. <laughs> like compared exactly. to what this used to be, like an hour, exactly. I think we can, we can cope with that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's such an important thing to think about in that you haven't lost or you haven't let yourself down. And even, even mm. if you do, engage in the behavior I think one thing I've recognized through my own recovery journey is that sometimes I do engage and mm. I might engage five times I might 
oh, and then the next time it happens is one time or something. It, it seems to be that each time it happens, it, it reduces in frequency rather than before. It was just constant day in, day out. Um, and I think, again, just having that compassion for yourself and being like, okay, it happened. What can we do now to make sure it doesn't happen again? Or what can we do to like prevent it being so severe next time? Completely. And like berating myself has never got me anywhere. No. You know? Like punishing myself for you fucked up, you got you 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 messed up, whatever. That that doesn't serve me. You know? And like it is being able to be kind and compassionate to yourself, like you say, that is what's gonna get you back like back on track back mm -hmm. doing the right thing doing the kindest thing for yourself when i start to punish myself for doing it it feeds into that cycle and i get stuck in that cycle and i'm far less able to get out of it so yeah i think it is just being really kind and compassionate to yourself that's what's going to help you move forward rather than punishing yourself for it yeah absolutely absolutely um okay i'm going to play the other one um i'm really hoping this is in the right place because it's not it doesn't say what the time is on it it's just got your very lovely face smiling so i'm, I'm just gonna hope that it's the right time Um, that one, I think, is like, it's, it's almost like you're doing like a presidential speech. And it, it's the music behind it as well. Like, it, I honestly, when I watched that one, I was like, oh my God, I am so inspired right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, did you want to kind of talk a little bit about your inspiration for that yeah. one? Um, so, I guess this bit was just um, just talking about the realities of recovery because again i think that it's very easy to glamorize you see these pictures on instagram of people kind of eating being able to go out for meals that they never were able to go out for or you know these the recovery wins or whatever and that's fantastic but i don't think we talk about how challenging recovery is how difficult it is and and i don't want to say this to put people off because like it, like it's the best thing i've ever had to do but it was the hardest thing i've ever had to do mm -hmm. and you know i haven't cried so many tears i haven't been in so much pain like i had to convince myself like time and again that feeling was better than being numb you know and that's that's the hard thing about recovery it's like another quote from me it's like they say the, the joy is the good the good thing about recovery is you get your feelings back and the bad thing about recovery is you get your feelings back and like it couldn't be more true like i just remember at the beginning like i was so numb to these feelings and so numb and i stuffed everything down and they erupted and i was just like oh my god i can't cope with this this is too much um 
and then they settle down and I found other ways to cope with them. But um, I experienced so much pain and sadness to begin with. Um, and like, it was so messy and it, but that was necessary. And I think that actually being able to kind of, kind of step into this recovery process and think, okay, anything is better than my life right now. You know, nothing could be worse. And I really did hit a rock bottom and I needed to hit that rock bottom because I think had I not hit that rock bottom, I kind of would have gone into recovery, thought, no, stuff this, I can't do this, it's too mm. difficult. Um, but because it wasn't easy and, and I, and I look back on it now and I was surrounded by so much love and so much support. And for the first time in years, like I felt like I was able to be myself. I think I was like, wasn't just this person with an eating disorder. And despite all the pain and despite all the hardship that kind of went on in my recovery, like, and I, and I think this is like early recovery, like I'm talking early recovery. Um, I also felt so seen and loved and supported and I didn't feel alone. Mm. And I think being able to talk of, start talking about my, my struggles, I was able to realize that other people felt that way. Mm. Um, and yeah, like this hasn't been my experience for the last, like how many years I've been in recovery. Absolutely not. Like it, yes, there's more challenging parts, but like at the beginning it was a super tough. Um, the hardest part I found, um, and there were joys that came with that, like, don't get me wrong. And those little joys got bigger and bigger and they were the things that kept me going. Um, but I think it's kind of being kind to yourself and compassionate to yourself. Like, I think compassionate should be like the buzzword of this podcast. But, um, <laughs> you know, when it feels hard, when things don't feel like they're getting better. For me, it felt like I was getting worse, but things were getting worse yes. before they got something better. And I was like, this is all wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm giving up. But that was the necessary process. Like that was my feelings coming back. That was me not having, I'd let go of my coping mechanism and I didn't have another coping mechanism. I was just like, what do I do? How do I live my life? And like these other coping mechanisms came in, these people came in, like I was able to get through days that I didn't think I could get through, which gave me a confidence boost. Um, and I, I had to take it a day at a time. Like I literally had to be like, okay, all I can do today is focus on the day at hand. I need to eat the meals I need to do. I need to engage in the therapy I need to engage in. And that is the extent of what I can do. Well, what about tomorrow when tomorrow comes along? Um, and I literally lived my life a day at a time. And it was just what the process of recovery required for me to do. Mm. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's a bit like we were talking about earlier. Like I literally had to give up everything to focus on that because I couldn't deal with all those feelings. And whilst also trying to engage in life yeah I think you're so right when you said about um it feeling like you get worse before you get better because like you said you have been numbing everything for so long mm. with these coping mechanisms then all of a sudden that's gone and this flurry of emotions and you know you're you're going against everything that you've been trying to go for for the past however long so that's naturally going to feel so uncomfortable um and so that that is absolutely horrific and i think you're you're right when you said about you know you see people on instagram like doing recovery wins and and recovery meals and and stuff like that and and that's fantastic but like you said you don't see the the groundwork behind it mm -hmm. and i think 
there is the possibility of when we see that sort of stuff is to think hmm or why you know if if it's that you can't yet do a you know go out for a meal or you haven't had a recovery when it how much it seems like they've just gone and done it so is it that i'm doing something wrong um and or equally because you don't see that groundwork you might think oh they've just done it and i've put in all this effort and all this hard work and i still don't feel like i'm getting anywhere so it is almost like we just see that highlight reel of recovery rather than the nitty-gritty stuff but you know i think it also takes so long for things to click um Mm. like you know you can you can keep going and keep going and not understand why you can't let go or why something feels like it's hanging on um and that's definitely something i've kind of noticed recently in my own like therapy sessions is i've just i've there's been something that's kind of kept me hanging on and it's only Mm. been kind of the last week or so that i've been like huh I think I've got it, but that's taken years. And, you know, that's not to put anybody off, but I think that the whole process, it's an ongoing thing. It's not like you said earlier, it's not kind of one day you wake up and you're recovered. It is an ongoing thing. Things come along, you have to deal with them. But sometimes those things that you have to deal with, like you said about hitting rock bottom, you sometimes need that rock bottom to be like, ha. I need to actually do something about this. I can't live like this. Completely. Like, I, 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 I've had people talk to me about friends, family members, and saying, you know, like, so-and-so is really struggling, and I don't know what to do, and they don't want to have any help. And it feels like really useless advice, but I, almost, I often say they need to hit their own rock bottom, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't believe until you've hit your own rock bottom, like, you will want to get better, and you can't enforce a rock bottom on anyone. And I don't think, in my experience anyway, I would not have got well until I'd really, like, hit that rock bottom. So I think it is horrible when someone's in that place of not quite ready to let it go. You really have to be on the floor thinking, I can't live like this. I'm willing to do whatever you say. And that was, it was just, like, utter desperation that I got to that I'm like, okay, I want to get better from this. And it's, it was horrible, but it was so necessary. And kind of, I think, you know, when people are in that place, and I, I kind of, you know, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I also think it's so necessary. And um, I, I know that I wouldn't have kind of gone into recovery without it. Mm-hmm. I guess just to sort of wrap us up, um, because I think this is a really common thing in that you kind of do have to hit rock bottom to think, shit, this is, this is actually shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I equally think for the people that are supporting somebody, uh, that that is probably the most frustrating thing you can you well one of the most frustrating things you can witness because you can physically see that your family member your loved one whoever is kind of putting themselves through hell and putting you through hell as well you know let's not mm-hmm. beat around the bush it's it's everybody that struggles in this sort of thing mm-hmm. and if you're supporting somebody there is literally you can't be the cure so no. if if somebody is listening and thinking, okay, yes, I'm in that situation and my loved one is really struggling, what can I do if I can't cure them? Mm. Um, I think being a living example is huge. And I think for me, in my experience, um, I had this situation with my mum and my mum was so desperate to fix me. Like she almost dedicated her whole life to like fixing me and feeding me and doing that and it didn't work. And I almost like rebelled against it. Her taking a step out and kind of living her life and 
prioritizing her needs and and looking after herself was a far better example to me than her trying to sort of fix me and i again like if i have friends or or people i'm around that i know are suffering you know i'll i'll say to them i'm like look i'm here to talk when you're ready and i'm you and i will remind them that but i'm not going to sit them down and be like okay you need to do this you need to see this person you know it's like I'll say to them, look, I know of some great therapists. I know of some great resources, like some great support groups. I would really like, they've really helped me. If you want to talk to, if you want to talk to me about them, if you want me to kind of take you to one, we can go together and then sort of leave it at that. And I then will not make a point, but I will demonstrate normal eating. I'll demonstrate me living my life mm-hmm. and not in a, I'm going above and beyond to show them that, but just to prove to some, that someone can live in a normal body and can eat normal food and be happy and content. You know, I think that's far better an example than someone kind of trying to ram it down someone's throat because I know I wouldn't have heard that. What no. actually made uh, what I really struggled with was seeing all my friends like doing their A-levels and going off to university and being these normal teenagers. And I was, and I was like, I want that. Mm. And that was far more desirable to me. So yeah, I think it's so hard when you're just so desperate and you can kind of, you feel like you're, you're, you're seeing something and your loved one is stuck in it and they can't see it. But it's just learning that, you know, you can't save them. They have to save themselves and you can be there and you can kind of give them that support. But unfortunately, not until they're ready will they take that but you can be an example yeah yeah i i couldn't agree more i think you put it so well um and i think you know equally in the time that you are if you are trying to help somebody to get better and you know losing everything that you have i think that's only gonna sort of cause more frustration and more distance because it, it's just it just builds up the resentment from both sides you know if you do kind of get rid of everything in your life to focus on your loved one and support them you know you're going to resent that because you're going to think oh you know this eating disorder is taking it from both of us now um so i think like you said being there when they're ready for support and leading by example um and I think that's a great thing you said as well, you know, your friends were going off to uni and that's what you wanted to do. I can imagine that was much more of a bigger drive, you know, I, I want to go to university, so I'm going to get better yeah. to do like, to be like my friends rather than, oh, mum, let's go and sit in this hole of sadness together, um, which I think it can often feel like when somebody's supporting you, it's just you're both then in a bad place together. Yeah, 100%. Well, thank you so much, Nia. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Um, if people, I don't know how regularly you put kind of your poems on um, online, but I'm sure people will want to hear more. So whereabouts can they find more about you? Um, so, yes, my poems are just on YouTube. So it's just my name um, and you can find me on Instagram. I'm always very happy to chat all things mental health, or as well as all things life. So you can find me on there. I tend to put poems <laughs> up um, for sort of like mental health awareness days and weeks and all that sort of stuff. So yes, we'll have. To, I'm not sure what the next one will be, but yeah, um, that's where that's that's where you can find me. Amazing. Well, I'll put that in the notes as well for the podcast, just in case um, people didn't catch that. But yeah, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to speak to you. Thank mm-hmm. you.
but it's been so great. I feel like I've just like had a chat with a friend. (laughs) (laughs) If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.